welcome to and unmanageable life. <laughs> you okay, ready? Un okay. Welcome to and unimaginable life. <laughs> okay, my turn. I gotta start. Welcome to and unimaginable life. <laughs> what? I thought we would just go over some of our unimaginable experiences, mm -hmm. just a summation of a bunch of them. And then later on, we could do full podcasts about them. So of the experiences we've had in the last year or so, what is top of your mind? I think some of the stories when you were playing poker are fun to talk about because those were early those were and they were days. very exciting at the time. Okay. So we were trying to use your skills to help me win at poker. We were. <laughs> did that work? It did not. <laughs> no. It was a bunch of useless information. Yeah, it is a bunch of useless information. But it, it did help me practice. The first thing I remember, I was in Cherokee playing at the World Series of Poker. And I was in North Carolina. You were in Florida. And you described the room that we were playing in. I did. You said it was cold. I said, is it cold in there? It seems like it's really cold in there. And uh, you said, yeah. It was freezing. There were circles or something on the carpet. There was something on the floor that I could see in the colors of the floor. Yeah. You knew the colors of the floor. You knew the colors of the table. And that room holds, I would say, 2,000 people. It's the new room, convention center. And there are hundreds of tables, very high ceilings, all white concrete block walls, and freezing cold. I mean, everyone was talking about how cold it was. Yeah, it was amazing. I could see the chairs, the white sort of chairs, and they were they metal. There was there's just some detail about it that was incredible. And I remember that I asked you why there was a bowling alley <laughs> at this poker place, but I didn't know at the time that you were at a place that had multiple activities in one resort. I thought convention center or something where you were. Yeah, you said. Oh, there's a bowling alley there. Why am I seeing a bowling alley? <laughs> yeah, there's a big bowling alley there. <laughs> right. And one of the first things that happened that was funny to me was that you said, you told me where you were. And I said, oh, well, that's weird because I'm seeing an H on everything. An H on napkins and just different things. An H, why would that be? Because... The resort was fully booked the first night, so I had to stay across the street at the Holiday Inn. Right, and, and I didn't know that. And you said, I'm at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> oh, my God. It was crazy. So the the first really fun story, well, a lot of them are fun, but I got an image of a woman with shortish curly hair and her name, and that she was it was right next to you. And that's because I'm just remote viewing. So there's a woman next to you, but I was able to get her name and a description of her. And you leaned to the woman next to you and said, that, are you Stephanie? Cause that's the name you gave me. Mm, yeah. You thought she looked like her. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. What I'd said. And she kind of had short hair and she kind of had blonde hair, like you said, and she was about that same age. And she goes, no, but she, Stephanie's right here behind me, <laughs> yeah. the next table over. <laughs> it was crazy. And then um, I saw uh, as there's a there's a guy there that has a a cream colored sweatshirt on. We may have pictures of this, but I don't know if we we could blur out places. But there's a guy with a baseball hat, and I, I feel like the baseball hat was turned backwards, but I I can't remember. And then I said he has a cream colored sweatshirt on. There's black splotches all over it and he was just a real standout character sort of to me and he said he had sunglasses okay and he couldn't understand why someone would have sunglasses indoors at poker right so this makes i know this probably isn't right because i'm seeing this guy and why would he have on a baseball hat and sunglasses inside it but yeah that's right it confused me i thought i was getting something wrong yeah and so i'm looking around for this guy sunglasses are typical because poker players want to hide their eyes so a lot of the novices wear sunglasses and it's a funny thing because it's, it's looked down upon and you can tell when someone's new when they're wearing sunglasses. Oh, so this guy had was a young guy. He had this, I found him. He actually walked right to my table and he was in the table behind me. He had sunglasses, backward baseball cap and a sweater, a sweatshirt that had 
splashes all over that said something on it. Some logo or <laughs> I was something. Like, oh my god, that's the guy. Then I sent you a picture of him. You go, there he is. That's him. That's him. So that was exciting. And in that same week, you were somewhere having dinner. Well, this is actually you got a couple different poker things, but um, the one with Stephanie was in um, Jacksonville. And so that was another weekend. So I was playing poker in Jacksonville on my way down to West Palm Beach. And so that's where Stephanie was. I got out of that game early and then went back to my hotel, got changed and was looking for something to eat. There's a really nice mall across the street from the hotel, open air, high-end kind of mall in Jacksonville. And then there's dozens of restaurants there. But I went into this one that I've been to before, that's sort of a chain. And it was packed because it was Friday night and there was a waiting line for seats and everything. So I went to the bar. There was one seat at the bar. And the bar was would ha- had three seats at the end and then 20 seats down the row. So I sat at the corner and there were, I could see everything from there. And there were two women to my right. And so just for fun, I was texting you. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, describe where I am. And you said, well, you're at a bar and you described the chairs. You said that the countertop was marble, which is unusual for a bar because generally they're wood or something. And that you that from where I was sitting, I could see outside. And there was, in fact, all these windows behind the bar, which is another new, unusual feature. You also said it had a TV, but all bars have TVs. Then you said something. I was saying, see if you can see what the people, the women next to me are talking about, because they seem to be laughing a lot. And you said, oh, no, there's something really deep and serious going on there. Yeah, that was the interesting because you said there are people behind me or beside me. Can you describe them? And and then a woman next to me and the woman next to you on one side, I described she was by herself and she was signing her bill. Yes. And there was was on my left side. Right. There was something that I told you about her. And then she left and you said there are two women to my right. I said, okay. And I described one of them had a purse on the back of her chair and the color of it. And they're talking. And that was what it was to me. I said, they are in something very serious. There's something really serious and, and sad almost going on. And you said, no, that's not right. They're laughing. And I said, I don't, I don't care. That doesn't matter. They're laughing, but there's something going on. Yeah. That, and that was really cool. But you said something specific because then I said to them something specific. You remember yeah. what that was? Not really. Because I opened it by saying, has either of you recently experienced a loss? And so when I, I said it, that. they both stopped talking, eyes wide open, staring me like, oh my God, how did you know? And I said, I don't know. It was just, this is, my friend's a psychic and this is what she's telling me. And it turns out that one of the women was the wife of Paul Servino who had died three days before. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. And then I was, had gotten some things, I think, obviously before you told me who it was and it was this, this energy and it was something about the cat skills. There were several things. And then somebody going into a pool with their clothes on, there was just some interesting little tidbits that I got. Well, what we've learned since then is that when someone dies, they're very glitchy Initially. Initially. And I guess because they're going through their process of going back to non-physical. There seems to be often a period of time where I I can't get them at all, where there's just no communication. It just depends. And this was three days, which is very quickly. I've had one other person that was two weeks and that I think that's the next soonest, you know, next shortest period of time from death date to where I could communicate, but it is really glitchy. Well, these two women were very 3D. We ended up having a great conversation about different things, but they did not believe any of this. No. At all. <laughs> I don't know how they couldn't have, but no, they thought that I had known they who they were right. and known about Paul, Paul Servino's death and had researched some background on him and knew all these things. And then happened to be at the restaurant sitting next to them. I don't, yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. 
Well, this is what happens with the unimaginable is people cannot believe the unimaginable. So they instantly form some excuse how this can't be happening. Well, I did that for a very long time, especially with the dead people. I said to everyone, our friends, that there's no way you guys, you guys, please look this up on Facebook. See if I, is there some way I could have read it? Is there some way I could have known it that it's just in my head? And I went through that for a long time, months and months of it. Well, for me to be, to go to that location at that time, sit at that one bar stool, could have been any restaurant in there. I could have sat at any table or any bar and the most unimaginable thing happened. Now, this reminds me too, when we went down to Charlotte for my birthday, on the way down, you're getting a name. What was that name? Well, something else came first because I was seeing an image, a vision of looking out over a cemetery. Right. And I know how visions come to me and it was past, present, future, past, present, future. So I, I knew that. And then, so I asked you to look at the pictures of the place where we were going to be staying. Yeah. And and what was interesting about that is the place we're going to be staying is right downtown Charlotte. So how could there be a graveyard right downtown? That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. So I asked you to look, I said, did I happen to see pictures because had you or somebody shown me pictures of this place where we were going to stay and you looked and you said, no, I don't, I don't see anything. And I said, well, check to see if there's a graveyard near it. And you checked and you said, it looks like maybe because you didn't quite have the exact address just yet or something. You just knew generally. And then once we um, started driving, I got some other things. One of them was the name Randolph and Scott. They came in differently. I thought Scott was the first name and Randolph was the last name. I, I didn't know. And then he got an image of an old time movie camera. Movie camera. It was like a handheld crank kind of thing. Real film, right? With the real big film reels going yeah, through. On a tripod. Right, exactly. And um and a a horse and the name Stardust, which I assumed went together. There were a few other things, but I can't remember exactly what they were. Was there anything about a cowboy? No. Okay. I don't think so. So nothing about that, right? No. So anyway, we look up Scott Randolph, Randolph Scott, (laughs) and we find out that Randolph Scott was a famous Western actor. He had been in hundreds of Westerns, and his horse, his personal horse was Stardust that he used, and that he, turns out he is buried at the cemetery in Charlotte. And the place where we ended up staying, the balcony was exactly what I saw in my vision, which was looking out over the cemetery. Right. So then we decided, this is a massive cemetery. I mean, you drive through this thing. It's huge. We decided to look, and we found the grave like right away. Just No, I, it, it, it was funny around? because we, we walked, we drove around, and it's massive, and they didn't have a real plot of where it was, or we couldn't figure out the map of it. That's it, right. It was cool that we could find out that he was buried there in the directory. So we looked around. And looked at headstones and none of the headstones were there. And we're looking at the biggest ones because he's the most famous person there. So we figured he had the biggest one. You just said, keep, okay, now just drive around and I'll get a sense of it. And then you said, stop, get out of the car. You walked over to it. It was one of those ones that's flat on the ground. Right. That's what it was. I said, stop right here. I jumped out and ran. And then I saw it down there and I just started jumping up and down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was cool. And that wasn't Randolph Scott though. Coming to me, it wasn't like that. It was a more of a psychic thing, just for fun and interest. I think just something delivered to me, just to have fun with, because it was not communication from him. Which is a new thing that we found out that somehow you get information that has no other purpose than to surprise and delight us. Yes, and we don't know where it's coming from. It's not like channeled, like white light or. It's not white light. It's not transitioned loved ones. It's not anything like that. It's just a drop in of something and a trail. And it's like a puzzle to put together or a riddle to solve. And if we do it, it's so much fun. It's so exciting. But it's not 
generating any income. It is not. <laughs> no, apparently so, I cannot use my psychic ability to generate income. So one thing I thought we would do is go to like a convenience store and do a quick pick. Cause I think we did one that day too, on the way down to Charlotte, they have these boxes and there might be 25 different games that they have. And I thought, well, you could certainly pick the box that has the next card is going to be a winning ticket. It would light up for you somehow. So you got in front of it and you just saw flashing. This one's red and yellow and green and moving around and they're all moving around back and forth. Bing, 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 bing. It was so fast. It was one would light up. And as soon as I would go to point to it and say that one, then another one across the case would light up and it started moving so fast that before I could hit stop, it was already lit up somewhere else. Yeah. So our premise was that here's a roll of lottery tickets. And in this roll, there are some winners, mostly losers. It's random and all that. And then all we had to do was find the role where the next one's coming out. It's going to be a winner. Well, it turns out that's not how it works. Nope. There's nothing on these things until someone pulls one from anywhere in the state or the wherever the state is, and then it becomes the winning or losing ticket based on the vibration of that person. Right. So there's there's no way for me to pick it ahead of time. I have to draw a winning ticket to me. I have to do that. I don't, I can't pick. It's very weird. Yeah. I don't really know how to do it. It's, yeah. Even if you could do it, how do you get into the vibration of the winning lottery ticket? Who knows what that vibration is? No idea. <laughs> right? No idea. And apparently I have a real issue with using these abilities for personal gain in some way. Yes, but we're working on that. Everyone's trying to convince me otherwise. We're softening that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I, uh, what good I is psychic ability if you're not generating income? <laughs> right. Well, I agree. <laughs> I agree with that, but I don't know. I think I must somewhere deep down think I'm here to save the planet. Something. So you think that anyone could do what you do? I do. You're wrong. No, I absolutely believe everyone can do it. Everyone can do all of it. Yes, but not to that degree. It's like everyone can sing, but no one's Celine Dion. No, I I don't think that these abilities are a talent. I think I just managed to raise my raise my perspective to a place where I can access this communication and this information. And I think everyone can do that. Well, possibly with a lot of practice. I didn't practice. I know because you have a talent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's like that. I say that all the time. I uncover an ability. I have 37 of them at least. Every time I uncover one, it's like getting a delivery of flowers or something that says, congratulations, you've uncovered a new ability. This is what it is. Now, don't drink your own Kool-Aid because everyone can do this. You're not special. All right. Well, good. Well, then you'll have to start a class teaching people how to do it. Well, I'm doing that. All right. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Is that all we get to talk about? No, we got a million more to talk about. Do we get to talk about another one now? Yeah. I want to tell the, the story about your nanny. Oh, that's a good one. It's a really good one. And that one's particularly fun for me because it was also early in having communication with dead people. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a long story. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I woke up in the middle of the night as I did a lot back then. I was woken up and I was writing down words that made no sense to me. And in perfect line, I knew exactly how to write them, where to put a space and where to write the next line. So I just sat with it, but I, I couldn't feel anyone yet. <clears throat> so Something told me to go in and get a glass of water. So I went back in the house, got a glass of water. And as I turned around from the refrigerator, I saw you, but I, I knew it wasn't you. It was just a, it was like holographic sort of vision. And then very quickly you turned into a baby. Mm, really? Do you remember that? No, I don't know this part. Oh, yeah. so 
I, hmm, that's that, weird. Was that a cute baby? It was pretty quick, but yeah. <laughs> Very cute. I like used a, to be a model. Know, as a like baby. a year and to a year and a half old. Something yeah. like that. So that was when I was still in South Africa. Okay. So then something told me to go in the living room on the hardwood floors and dance like I used to dance around my room when I was a kid, 13, 14 year old kid. So I thought, well, that's weird, but it's fun. So I went in and I was dancing around and I was humming a tune. It was not a tune that I knew. And when I did it, after a few minutes, I realized those words I had written outside in the notebook went perfectly to that tune. So I went outside, got the notebook, came back in and was doing that. Then I started to make the connection that it was something for you and something for you as a child. And then that is when I felt the presence of someone in that it was just this tune and these words. And I knew that whoever this was, was meaning it for you. I knew they were, it was a dead person. So I knew that it was a dead person and I knew that it was for you given what had happened. But all I really had at the time were those words that were nonsense to me and they went perfectly to this little tune. So the next day I called you and said, I've got this for you and I'm going to read the words, but then I'm, I know I have to sing this to you in this way. So I read the words and I sang the little tune. Yeah. You also um, sent me a text of a photo of the words. Right. Okay. So here's what I wrote down in my notebook. And, but I, I knew that the woman who was with me was pretty old when she passed and she was also black. And so it didn't make sense to me yet because I knew we were friends. We've been friends for a couple of years at this point. And so I knew that you had had a nanny when you were in South Africa as a little kid. But you also told me that in that society, when you were there, that black people and white people did not intermix. I took that to be very literal. My experience of nannies my whole life has been perhaps the sound of music or some that I may have had, au pair types, they were always young, very young, in school, living home. That's what I imagined your nanny to be, a young white college girl type. You never told me. I just assumed that. So when I told you about who had come, I said, this person that gave me this is a woman, old, black. And you said, maybe it was my nanny. And I said, well, your nanny would probably still be alive, wouldn't she? And you said, no, she was older than my parents. And your parents were both gone. So, yeah. or yeah, gone. And I was very shocked. And I said, no, but she's black. And you said, yeah, she was. And I, uh, and then I, I was like, oh my God, that's who we have. And it was so shocking. Yeah. So in South <clears throat> Africa, all the, nannies and housekeepers and gardeners they're all native africans mm -hmm. and they're generally of some tribe and zulu is the most prevalent one so i'm going to show my ignorance here this was <laughs> this is what made it funny though you said it sounds like maybe it could be zulu is this language mm -hmm. and so i looked at it and the words look zulu to me and at the time i didn't know zulu was a language I knew Zulu time from Star Trek. That's all I knew. I said, what, what are you talking about? It's Zulu. That's what they speak. I felt like an idiot, but I was like, okay, okay. And you said, sing the song again. So I did. And so, so sing the song now. Do you remember it? Um, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do, but. That's it. Yeah. There it is. Um, yeah. To 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 the sun. To to something like that. Like that. Yeah, but it's to Uzubuya Ekuse. To Lama Uzubuyu Ekuseni. Yeah. Yeah. So we're now 
talking on the phone or Zoom? on the phone. I'm yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was, early, that was in my car early the next morning. <laughs> and so I'm looking up these words that you'd written down and something comes up on YouTube. And then I find this first video and it's called I still get chills popular Zulu lullaby. And I started playing it. I remember the chills, right? Yeah. And so oh, it gives me chills now. Yeah. I mean, this is when we're both crying. We were bawling. <laughs> and I I think I knew at that moment that that was one of those experiences that no one would ever understand how we felt in right. that moment. It was earth shattering. It was more emotional than just about anything I'd ever been through. It was incredible. And she was so clear when she came in. And in fact, she, I had to record this for you. Right. And I did with music yeah. and she came back to me the next night and woke me up. And that's when then she called herself nurturer because it was asking, what is your name? Yeah. And she said, nurturer in Zulu. Yeah. I had to look it up. Yeah. And she said, we still have work to do. You have to sing the song again. And I did it. And she said, no, no music. It had to just be my voice uh, in the something. There was something activating in just the sound of my voice singing that for you. Because you were playing the piano along with it. No, I was playing this in the background. Oh, I see. Okay. You had sent me this YouTube. Uh, you know, So a couple days later or, or that next day, I recorded it for you. But I wanted music in the background because I can't sing. That was interesting because the, to me, what got it was you had written down some Zulu words on a piece of paper in about four lines, I believe, three or four lines. And then in this video, the description is exactly what you wrote. Exactly. Word for word, letter for letter. It was even spelled correctly. Spelled correctly, spaced correctly, the number of words. Right. Uh, per line, it was as if you had seen this video and 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 then just took a picture of it and wrote it down in a notebook. It was exactly like that. My version of it, singing it, not so much, but uh, uh, to me, exactly the tune, the tune, though, was exact. but you know, I got the tune separately from the words, and that was it. But she she had me re-record the song without any music or anything in the background, which was just so horrible for me but in doing it i could feel her she had her hand on my shoulder for a bit and then slid her hand down and had her hand like on my knee i could feel it and i thought this is interesting i just put my phone up to record to see if it picked anything up beside me and i posted it on facebook because it was intense as i was singing or talking or something the light beside me was red and yellow and orange and flashing and moving. You couldn't deny it. It was just done with an iPhone. And when it was over, I sat there again and recorded, this is the space. And there was nothing happening. And it was nighttime, right? It was at middle of the night. Yeah. yeah. She woke me up in the middle of the night, the second night too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the only reason I know that I even had a nanny was I had uh, something done with a friend who did muscle testing to see when there was a trauma because she said there's some trauma and she said it was okay is it younger than six okay it's younger than six is it older than one yeah it's older than one and she ended up going right around two and she said what happened at two well the only thing that happened at two is we moved from south africa to canada so she said well there's trauma there somehow and i couldn't imagine it and then it just came to me that i must have had a nanny and the nanny, um, I, I had assumed the nanny was my mother, and I was being taken from my mother because South Africa, the the nanny really is a nurturer. Mm -hmm. The mothers and fathers aren't. It's a very weird culture, and both my parents were screwed up from that. People get sent to boarding school. There's not a lot of nurturing of the kids, but the nannies do. So this was when my life is one of leaving people. We moved every year of my life until high school. And this is when it all started. Right. That's a quite a pattern. That's very interesting. So anyway, I asked, I think my uh, father was alive still then and, and he talked, told me all about her. Oh, he did. Okay. Okay. 
All right. So more, or is this enough for today? Much more to freak people out. Well, so far, nothing that crazy. All right. So, um, why don't you tell the story about Tucker? Oh, okay. I have my own Tucker experience. Yeah. But. All right. So had this inspiration to get a dog and I thought I wanted to get a really smart dog. That was my inspiration. And so I thought, well, the two smartest dogs are German Shepherd and Poodle. And so we're looking around for dogs in the area. And this one comes up. It's a father is a German Shepherd and the mother's a Poodle. So we go out and get this dog. The mother is a pure black standard poodle, not too big, maybe 40 pounds. And the father is a normal German Shepherd, also about 40 pounds. So this is a little puppy that's white. And it looks like a poodle, more like a poodle than a German Shepherd. And, but is pretty big for, I think it was seven or eight weeks when we got him. And we didn't have a name picked out and we drove home. And we were passing road signs, and I saw roads. There was one street sign that said Tucker. So I got that's a good name. So we named Tucker, and Tucker was a great, boisterous dog and grew really quickly. <sighs> and he became at least 100 pounds. And he was very long and very tall and fast and lean and the sweetest, most loving dog in the world. But he would want to be all over you. And he would run up to people and put his pause on their shoulders and be eye to eye with them. And if you weren't big and no one could walk him, but me, he was so strong and he would just pull you. <laughs> yeah. He ran through me a few times when he was a, maybe three or four months old. He, he could already reach the back door and put his palm on the handle. He couldn't open it because it opens inside. But about two weeks later, he figured out how to, put his hand on the handle and pull it open at the same time. But he would run in the backyard and be fine and come back in. No big deal. We live in a small town on main street, but there's not a lot of traffic here. And he never, ever went anywhere close to the front yard or anything like that. So he was fine. And he was you know, not off the leash lot. We were always watching him, but he would get break out occasionally. And then he would just come back, but not too often. And he was the most loving dog in the world. So he's now about a year old and he's a wonderful dog. And you were here this, that weekend. And uh, there were a bunch of other people here. And I remember very distinctly taking some time and telling him that I loved him and that he's always safe and he'll always be here and always be taken care of and never be sent away. And no matter what he does. And that mother's day, everyone was leaving and so Tracy and I are sitting here in the office doing our work and suddenly there's this scream outside and I knew exactly what had happened, right? Mm. Tracy goes out to the front. I go to the back to see if Tucker's there. What we did had, had a baby gate. So if you open the back door, there's this gate that he can't get off the, off the patio, but that gate was um, not there. So someone had, when they were leaving, it could have been me, but I don't remember. Somebody had moved the gate and he had gotten out. And so I ran to the front. And when I came in front, he had, he was, there was maybe 10 people there. And he was walking up onto the porch. No blood, looked fine, but he got hit by this car. And so we put him in the back of the navigator and took him to the vet. And it was covid so they met us at the car and carried him inside. And we didn't think anything bad about it. He wasn't crying or anything. He was just quiet in the backseat. But I think we both knew that because they called us and said, looks like it was like a, maybe a little bit got hit on the hip or something. Should be okay. And then half an hour later going, no, he has internal bleeding and he's not going to make it. And then 10 minutes later, he was dead. So it was very sad, but it was so weird how this all came about. It was like the perfect storm. Later on, there was a pastor from the church that said he had been running down the street and he jumped into his car and he was just really happy and he 
and jumped out of the car and he jumped into someone else's car. He just wanted. Oh, to, I didn't know that. Part. He just wanted to go for a bye bye ride in someone's car. Okay. And then he was running all over the street, and I mean, all over the street for 15, 20 minutes. And then he crossed the street right in front of our house, and this woman nailed him. So then, what was interesting is Tracy and I were sitting in the backyard, and there's one cloud in the sky, and it's exactly the shape of Tucker like a wow. perfect poodle, white poodle shaped <laughs> cloud. Like, that is amazing. So, okay. anyway, this, this woman comes maybe the next day and she knocks on the door. No, she didn't knock on the door. I was outside or something. It was the woman who hit her. And now she's with a guy and she's standing on the sidewalk talking. And she says, you know, your dog did a, she said, how's Tucker? Was he okay? And I said, no, he passed away. She goes, oh, I'm very sorry, but he did damage to my car and I'm going to need you to pay for that. And I knew this was a test. And so what happens is, if you're in fear, you're going to get an urge to change the conditions. But if you, and that's a normal reaction. Everyone would agree with this woman is crazy. How could she even come and do that, right? Okay. But I knew this was a test. And I knew that if you react the same old way, you're not really moving ahead. And so I thought, all right, from her perspective, she hurt her car. It wasn't her fault. This dog wasn't kept up and was out running loose and someone should pay. But I realized that this is too strange. Most people wouldn't do this, right? And so I said, all right, let me just check with my insurance and I'll see what they say. And gave her my number and all that stuff. And then she never came back. Because right. I offered compassion for her, didn't knowing I didn't need her to be sorry for me. Right. Right. And that was very interesting. That was an unimaginable experience. And then later on Dean channeled that that uh, Tucker had come to experience this house and the vibration of this house and said that Tucker brought energy from this house back to the non-physical. Don't know about that, but there was a big point of it. And then was it you or someone else said that that was Tucker's last experience as an animal before he became a human. It was not me. Someone else said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I didn't. I don't. I never get that kind of thing. So it's pretty cool. That's <laughs> yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was the most incredible, crazy, right. loving. I've always thought that Tucker was an Irish wolfhound. How could his mother be pure black and his father a German shepherd? They're both medium-sized dogs, and he's as double the size, white, right. super intelligent. I he just wouldn't be trained. I don't. I don't think. Well. Who knows? But if you look at him and you look at a picture of an Irish wolfhound, dead ringer. Exactly. Like purebred. He was 14 feet tall, that dog. He was huge. Everyone would say, you should try and train him so he could walk with you and stuff. I said, yeah, go ahead. You try. Give it a try. <laughs> There's not a training facility on the planet that's taken that dog, except maybe the police force. And you would not do that to him. That dog. <laughs> was going to be trained by anybody. No, he was not. <laughs> no, he would. The thing I remember the most about him was one. I saw him when he was a puppy and I think maybe you brought him to my house yeah. when he was a baby. And then six months later we come here and he's enormous, like enormous. And he would be all the way at the back corner. This is pretty big wide property here. And he would be all the way at the back corner and I would go outside and all of a sudden I would realize, oh, I could see him out there and he would hear me at, I don't know how, but at that distance and he would catch me and I was like, oh God, oh God, and there wasn't enough time. He would come barreling across that yard and it was like, I wasn't there. Like, I know you're running for me. So you're running at something, but you've got to stop when you get to me, but he didn't, he just head down, blew right through me like a bull, <laughs> sent me flying several times. Same thing on the stairs. He'd hear me coming down the stairs. And before I knew it, I was on my butt. The funny thing is that for how big he is, he just had this aura and demeanor that he's never going to bite you or hurt you. Or oh, no, no, no. Yeah. He was just, it was that kind of playful. Like you can't yell at him like, oh, no, 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 no. Here he comes. He just, yeah, just big goofball. And yeah, he nearly killed me several times, not intentionally, but he was cute. Hmm. All right. All right. One more. One more. 
Yeah. Do you have any? Um, Walter business card. Oh, that's a great one. All right. Okay. So I was here and middle of the night again, wake up in the middle of the night, go outside with my notebook and my phone to channel, whatever comes. And I start speaking to someone, a man who starts going through things about this house and tells me his name is Walter, gives me his last name, talks about being an attorney and a judge. That was interesting. Um, and told me a lot of things about the house. Like when the house was built, some interesting tidbits that I can't remember, but he said there um, was a piano in the house and it used to be filled with music all the time. And that I needed to bring music back to the house, get a piano, bring music back to the house. Was I somehow sort of a little bit play the piano. So, okay. And as I wrapped up with him, there were a lot of things. I still have the notebook. Well, um, he told you about the churches. Oh, that's right. He gave me the story behind the yeah, churches. So around there's, town. Uh, three doors down, there's a church. And across the street, three doors down, there's a church. And before there were the churches in the 1800s, they would all go to someone's house and they would all do their service in the house. And the next week they do someone else's house. And there were no different denominations at the time. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter if you're Presbyterian or Episcopalian or whatever it was, you all did it together. And so I think the Presbyterians built their first church, which is the one across the street and down. And, but they would, the Episcopalians would come later after that on Sunday afternoon rather than Sunday morning. And so they just shared everything. And then when the Episcopalians wanted to build their church, which is three doors to the south of here, they all helped build it together. It was a really nice story. And And then he told you about the well. Oh, that was a, that was a fun one. There was something about the water in the town. And he said, there's a plaque in the square said, said that I could find it. And it was something funny about when the plaque was dedicated or what the years were on the plaque. It was fine. I can't really remember. Also exactly that the well didn't work for the first 10 years. That was the joke. Of <laughs> it was a joke. Right. It was like, this is ridiculous, yeah. but it was funny. You know, you can go and find it. And we did at night. I was able yeah. to find it. Well, the- it's interesting because I'd walked around the courthouse is where the square is. And I've walked around there a hundred times and never noticed this thing. And then we walked around and there it is right laying on the ground. Right. You, yeah. You wouldn't ever see it if you're just walking it's in the grass. You, I mean, you would not see it at all. So that was fun. And yeah. then the last thing. Well, I knew that Walter was the judge um, because when I bought the house, I looked it up and then I went to, they have the courthouse downtown, which is now a museum, but the whole third floor is still the courthouse and they have all the judges uh, portraits painted up there. And so I saw Walter Feemster up there. In fact, when I went there, I said, do you have any pictures of my house in there? And she just gave me a stack of loose photos. And the third one was my house, uh, circa 1910, uh, no, 1915 or something. Oh, wow. Um, so this house was, we knew, was built in 1908. But you, but Walter told you it was built in 1900. Right. Well, at least started in 1900. Yeah. And it, it took a little bit of time. But he said, yeah, that's not right. It was earlier than that. Mm-hmm. So. And we, we can't find anything, I don't think, to verify it that I know of. But well, um, public records are notorious for things like that. Yeah. Um, also, he told you about which other houses were here. He did, all the way down to 8th Street and explained that there was a house down there. And it, I forget, he said it was, it's a square house. It may have been green or something. He said that house was here. So, yeah, he did. He kind of walked me through and got me just sort of familiar with the town. Did he tell you about Renee's house? Things about it. No, that came from my um, time viewing oh, yeah. thing. That was a separate thing. No, I knew nothing about Renee's house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll tell that story later too. Right. So anyway, what did... Yeah, so he said there was something, um, something of his that I could find. And understanding how these messages come through to me, sometimes it's not completely clear what is meant. And I... I was saying, well, where is it in the house? Like I could find something of his for you, something that you would want. And and as it turned out, he gave me a city and a name and said, there's something of mine there. 
And I think it was, I think I did know it was a business card or a photograph or something. It was something small. I can't really remember now, I, but I was able to, in Canton, Ohio, I was able to get in touch with these people and tell them that who I was and what they had. And the wife didn't know, but she said her husband would, well, he knew exactly. And it was something in a photo album that his parents had, and he didn't really know what it meant. Didn't mean yeah. So he called you back, and he did. He returned my call, and he said, "I know exactly what you mean." And and he said, "I'll get it for you." He got it, and he said he'd be happy to send it to me. And he was great. So I asked him how much he wanted for it, and he did want money for it. It was really funny. And it turns out it was Walter's business card. It was. It was really cool. And it says Walter Feemster, attorney. The attorney scratched out because. It was a personal card, no phone number, because back in those days, if you wanted to phone someone, you just said you would call the operator in Newton and you would say, please connect me to Walter Feimster, and they would ring the house directly. So there's no phone numbers. Right. Nor was there an address on this either. Nothing. Just his name and attorney at law or something. I think yeah, it said. Or just attorney. Or attorney. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Well, it's, it's hanging up here. So um, this man put this thing in a really nice plastic, sent it to me and I was able to give it to you for a Christmas present, which yeah. is the business card of the man that built the house that you're in. Now think about that. So I have friends who live here and they've known this house and I bring them in, show them the business card, hang on the wall. And I'm going to look at this and they're like, how'd you get that? And they're like, did Walter give it to you? Okay. Walter died a hundred years ago. <laughs> How's he going to give it to me? Right. Did, did you find it in the house? No. Uh-uh. No. Of course not. A hundred year old, you're going to find a business card? Uh, how'd you get it? He Christy, he told Christy where it was in Canton, Ohio. Christy called the people, gave him the name, called the people. They had it, and they sent it to her. And they go, okay, that's really interesting. Everyone <laughs> just nods their head. They go, oh, that's nice. And I think... <laughs> Is that not the most incredible thing you've ever heard? I mean, to me, it is. They can't wrap their heads around it. Like, how? Like, this is insane. <laughs> how in the world would you get this? Well, well that's the thing. When you when you have these unimaginable stories, people either dismiss it, have some excuse for it, think you're making it up. Yeah. You know, think you went and made the business card and put it up there, <laughs> yeah. and framed it in this $200 frame. <laughs> <laughs> Think, yeah. think Walter's still around somewhere. Right. <laughs> Walter must be really old. Oh, I'll tell you one more unimaginable story. Because as we are living this unimaginable life, we can look back in our past and we see all these unimaginable events from our past. Because we all have, we're all living unimaginable lives, is that we just don't see it. We don't see it. Clearly. Now we start living mm. it, we can see it clearly. But this was... um I had this recurring dream since I was about 35 years old. So that would have been 20 years of this dream. This dream is this, this house that's historic. It's always interior, almost always interior. And it's always mostly you're the back of the house. There's a back staircase and it needs a lot of work, right? But there's two things that are interesting is that when you're on that, there's a front staircase and a back staircase. And from the back staircase, you look at these three huge windows. And I never knew what this house was. It's, it was weird. So anyway, I had the inspiration to buy a house, a big house somewhere in the South where we could hold retreats. And so I was looking everywhere, Savannah, Austin, little towns in Georgia, all these towns around North Carolina, South Carolina, all over the place. And I had picked out a whole bunch to look at. And one of the places was a bed and breakfast in Newton. So I had seen this bed and breakfast and they're all around the same price, 500,000 or so. And so this one looked a little bit better than the other ones. And so I said, it was a small town I didn't know. So I went on Google earth and I drove around and it was like walking distance to downtown and it had a wine bar and had little shops and restaurants and stuff like that. So I said, okay, this is cool. Close to Charlotte. And I'm looking at this house all the time. Plus other houses. I was just drawn to it. My, 
the just the fun of going on realtor.com and seeing what's available. Well, as I was looking, another house popped up and it was this house. This It had been not lived in for like 11 years and need a lot of work, but they all did, right? And it, the, all the other houses were between 500 and 600,000. This one was 112,000. So I called the listing agent, put in a full price offer, cash, no contingency. And I said, well, if, if it turns out great, if it doesn't turn out, just lose a little deposit, no big deal. So Bruce and I went on this tour of all these different houses that I picked out. We just went from town to town to town on our way north from Florida. So all these places, they were great historic houses, but all need a lot of work because they're old houses. And then we went and saw the Trot House here, and that house had plastered cracking, and they had put bed bathrooms inside these bedrooms. It was ridiculous. And so then I said, okay, well, let's go look at this house and met the realtor here. And it was this fine Victorian house, and I always had an affinity for Victorian houses. Go up the front staircase, see all the bedrooms up there, go down the back staircase, and I'm on the landing of the back staircase, and I see those windows and that kitchen. And exactly the way it was. And I go, oh my God, this is the house. This is the one you've been dreaming about all those years. Like not dreaming, wishing, but dreaming in my dreams. Dreaming, having a recurring dream about <laughs> specifically. Which I didn't believe in recurring dreams. No, but <laughs> prophetic dreaming. It's yeah. a thing. And so as soon as I saw that, I knew this was the house. Mm-hmm. Turns out, of course, we did a lot of work and we did a lot of work. But another thing was somehow, some way, my whole life has been totally loving renovating old houses and never had done one this big or this old and that's why no one else bought it because it was such a project no one get involved in it's it. still a project no it's, it's nice it's beautiful it's very nice still a project no everything's done it's perfect <laughs> you just want to put some curtains up and paint some walls oh uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> It's beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, we have a lot more stories and uh, we're going to share some more. And, and some of them, we're going to take the entire podcast to do it because they're involved. Some of them are involved and will require backstory to make sense. Like what's the most unimaginable one? Oh, how about, how about just even before any of this started? How about New York in, in 2020? Right. That's that, <laughs> most would be that one. Most. Yeah. Most people. Well, people that know us know that story, but it's worth telling again. It's really good. So we get invited to go. We're going to do it now? Why not? It's not that long. I've told the story a million times. All right. You don't want to? No, go ahead. We can wait until next week. I just don't want to bore people. <laughs> it's not boring. <laughs> okay. We're talking for well, an hour. Basically, we are in New York City. We get invited there for some friends. We have a great time with them. We find ourselves in Times Square at noon. All the lights are going. Now it is COVID, right? It's COVID, but it's also July 4th, July 4th, Saturday. There are people everywhere in New York walking around. It is busy, busy, busy. It's not a ghost town, but we find ourselves in Times Square. Right. And you say, look up, look around. I'm like, what? There's not another person. Not another salt. There's the four of us sitting in the middle of Times Square. And it was, it was unbelievable. And then the four of us got on the train to well, go to Brooklyn. Well, we walk from there. We're like amazed. All the lights are going, all the billboards are going, everything. We walk from there and there's a farmer's market with thousands of people. Thousands of people. So it's not like it's empty. Right. I think the <laughs> thing that was so interesting sitting in Times Square, and it may, Drew may have said it sitting there, was can you imagine what this would have cost? This is not purchasable. You can't do this to buy Times Square for a party of four on July 4th, Saturday at noon. Yeah. And we had it. And then we get, we're going to go over to Brooklyn. We get on the subway and we, we find ourselves on our subway car with not another person. Now all the other cars have tons of people. Did they? Yeah. I don't remember. It was just this car. It was just the four of us. And I mean, just the four of us that we were turning cartwheels, we were stretching, we yeah, were acting like idiots swinging from the bars, bars. <laughs> <laughs> for 12 stops from Times Square to Brooklyn. Another thing in that weekend was very quickly, 
All the restaurants indoors were closed, but outdoors, no problem. So there's tons of patio seating. And so five of us go to lunch at this outdoor restaurant, had a good time. And then that night, I had the inspiration to go, go to Little Italy. And I'm like, do you guys want to come with us? This whole group of people. They're like, are you kidding? It's raining. We don't want to sit outside in the rain. It's pouring rain. And I said, mm, I have a, this inspiration. And so uh, six of us six went. Six of us went. Mm -hmm. And so we get down there and it's pretty heavily drizzling. You <laughs> yeah. wouldn't want to sit outside of this. And we're like, and we're like, let's turn around. I said, no, just follow me. Follow me. We go through the the um, little Italy arch there. We pass empty restaurant, empty restaurant, empty restaurant. And there's a guy saying, are you guys looking for a restaurant? I said, yeah. And he goes, come right in. Right. He just invited <laughs> us in. And it was COVID. This stuff was locked down. It was totally locked down. And so we're the only people in this restaurant, this big Italian restaurant. All the waiters are there waiting on us. And the owner says to me, you're the first people who have been who have eaten inside a restaurant since the lockdown. Right. <laughs> and it was amazing food. Yep. We had so much fun. They played music for us. We were the only people and we were served by there were Everyone. six or seven of us served by six or seven servers. Then I get the bill and then I go, this is interesting. And I take the bill from lunch out and we had five people at lunch and six people at dinner. And it was exactly the same amount to the penny. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that that part is really incredible. Yeah. 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 So these are little signs. Little signs of. That we're not alone. We're not. That, that Damn. There's more shit going on here. Oh. If you guys don't know, Christy and I, we were never into the woo-woo. We were no. very practical. We we're very much into business. We didn't. We. We believed in channeling and I believed in channeling for two people, you and Esther Hicks. I yeah. I was it. I didn't know there was anyone other than Esther Hicks until I started channeling and then I researched and there's a lot of people. But yeah. but I always believed in psychics. I did not. I thought they were I always believed in mediums. Oh, I definitely thought that was a load of crap. I had <clears throat> seen a medium uh in person and then I loved watching John Edwards. And even the Long Island medium. And a friend of mine knew John Edwards very well. And she said, no, this is the real deal. So I knew, I believed in not so much psychic, but I believed in channels and mediums. But uh, I did not. But not all this other woo-woo stuff. Turns out everything's true. If you're into the woo-woo, it's uh, actually not that woo-woo. And we have to believe all this stuff. It's the most it's fun. Because it's the most fun thing you can do. It's really entertaining. And my explanation from White Light is what helped me the most, which was that you watch TV and you watch movies and you know it's not real. They're on a set, but you watch it and you laugh and you cry. You get attached to the characters and you change your perspective. Look at everything, past lives, anything like that. If you want to look at it that way, who cares? Yeah. Enjoy it. Watch it. Have fun with it and let it change your perspective. The whole idea is that this stuff changes your perspective. And when you see things from a broader perspective, the little mundane stuff doesn't really matter. Right. That's it. That's the idea. You can have a life filled with joy. All right. If you guys like this podcast, please leave a review. We don't have any reviews yet. Well, if it's a good review, please leave it. How does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to read anything bad. <laughs> Don't be mean. Uh, <laughs> or leave a comment or like or subscribe. Yeah. Share it with your friends. Please. See, you can share this with anyone because your woo-woo friends will love it and your non-woo-woo friends will think we're funny oh, and oh, laugh at us. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Christy is working on a course right now that will help you bring on your psychic abilities. Everyone has them. It's just a matter of getting in touch with them, believing them, getting to a high enough perspective, they come online. If you're in a lot of fear, they're not going to come on. But when you reach a certain perspective, that's why the courses are so good. And in fact, Christy is thinking about making it mandatory if you want to do a reading to do the uh, foundations course. The foundations course is a four-week course that will shift your perspective high enough where your psychic abilities will start to come online and everything will change for you. You'll start to feel so much better. If you want to learn more about Christy, just go to 
christylevy.com. And if you are interested in channeling and would like to hear Joshua, just look at look for the podcast, Joshua Live. All right. Thanks again for being here. Make sure you please like and subscribe, leave comments and reviews. That's the most important thing you can do. We are just starting this podcast and it's off to a nice start, but we don't have any reviews yet. So if you could leave a review, that would be amazing. And until next time, have a wonderful week. Bye.